Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, The Invaders, part one. There's something else you should know. Josh told me something that happened in the ER that night that man disappeared. He described this blinding light. He was really rattled by it and... He said that the bed was covered with flies. So? So ER is scrubbed on the hour, no germs, no way any flies would have gotten in there. Well, I don't know, a couple of flies got past. Lieutenant, Josh left some blood in the refrigerator. It's a blood sample. He claims that it belongs to the guy who disappeared in ER. Why don't we have it tested? See if it matches. All right, all right, let's do it right away. Welcome to Continuum Drag the podcast that explores forgotten and underseen science fiction television. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Is it underseen shows? That's what we're watching? I don't know. I switch it up from time to time. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. Underseen. That's what this podcast should have been. It's actually what let people know what this podcast is about. Underseen? Yeah. Every time I have to explain it to someone, well, one, I have like my hand on my head and like, uh, you don't want to listen to it, you know, because <laughs> I'm a good salesperson. And then I have to explain the title. And by that point, the person's already walked away and thrown refuse in my face <laughs> everyone's just carrying refuse with them everywhere they go yeah it's like uh they're on the way to a big rally where they're going to be throwing fruit at like a politician and then i catch them on along the way tell them about the podcast they throw fruit in my face what a life <laughs> i know it's tough that's why i look like this all the time i have refuse thrown at me constantly well good good to know i i guess um all right let's get on with the show <laughs> yeah well you asked that's true my fault uh so this week we're going to watch a, a miniseries, I guess. It's a failed pilot miniseries. They called it a miniseries, but it's two, essentially two TV movies. Yeah. For a show called The Invaders or The New Invaders, depending who you ask. Oh, really? I never saw anything that called it The New Invaders. A few things I was looking at referred to it as The New Invaders, because I guess it's based on a show from the 60s. And uh, do you know anything about this particular miniseries like i guess it came out in 95 we've talked about this before this seemed to be like the golden age of the 90s science fiction boom and i have no idea that this thing aired i mean we i think we talked about in the previous episode that we were going to do this thing and i had no idea when it even came out and i saw it was mid 90s i think it was yeah it was 95 and well i saw that it aired on uh sunday november 12th and tuesday november 14th at 8 p.m so it was done in like three days. Yeah, uh, what I read about it said it kind of came out in the same vein as a lot of these shows. It's like trying to capitalize on X-Files fortune, basically. It's that time period, right? We, it's, it's, it, we seem to keep going back to it unintentionally. Well, uh, yeah, you did say it was in November 4th, 12th and 14th. But uh, what do you know what else uh, was out in 1995 that we would have also watched? Uh, well, we probably watched Tech War probably was on. Yeah. Is it, is, was, was always on. It's never been on the air. <laughs> it's, the syndication dollars is still making money for Shatner. And what, what what was the other one we watched in 95? Oh, we watched The Omen. When did that air? Yeah, The Omen's 95, mm-hmm. which is funny because this feels a lot like The Omen. It does feel a lot like The Omen. And Space Mom Beyond was on. But not only was that Space Mom Beyond on the air, but on November 12th, the episode The Enemy aired, which was the worst episode of the series. Oh, weird. What a night for TV, huh? Do you think that was the worst episode of the series? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. The one the one where they all had panic because they had fears that were externalized because of scare gas that was dropped on them by Chiggs. <laughs> yeah. It is like the plot line to like a 1960s Batman co- comic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or a uh, 2008 Batman comic, too. Like, they love that scare gas. Scare gas. It's always worth the scare. So, yeah. Let's give a little... A little preview of what we're going to see here though with this uh remake of this invaders miniseries mm-hmm. definitely capitalizing on kind of mid-90s fear of environmental disaster and immigration i guess yeah they're both in there big big plot points for this stars scott bacula yeah i i like scott bacula how do you feel about him oh i'm a big fan of scott bacula i was yeah. perfectly happy to see him appear in this show two things about his performance and this won't spoil anything one he's in pretty good shape would you agree yeah he spends a lot of time in like with no sleeves he's a pretty good shape and the second thing is he has very very little to work with (laughs) 
He spends most of the time not talking. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's getting a lot to do here. I don't think anyone is in this show, but... But did you see who uh, was the production company behind the show? No, who was it? This is Aaron Spelling's production company, so very mid-90s. That's funny, yeah. Aaron Spelling, of course, did Charlie's Angels, Dynasty, Charmed. Yeah. Charmed was your favorite, right? Yeah, that's the big three, I think. (laughs) Television's big three. He he did 90210, didn't he? Melrose Plays? Yeah, I mean, this was perfect time for him. Like... He was already a huge producer, but he was a huge producer in the 90s. That's what I remember for sure. Is he dead now? Good question. I think he's dead. Didn't didn't they, I think the family all fought over his money as as they do. Got to get that money. That sweet charm money. Is there uh that sounds like there's got to be a good board game where you fight over a dead relative's money, right? It just <laughs> seems right. Yeah. I thought you meant specifically a board game that the family would have put out about their own troubles. <laughs> get Aaron Spelling's money. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Listen, Jordan, let's take that back to the drawing board and let's come up right. with it for later. Some good merch. The Spellings won't mind, will they? We'll just misspell the name and then we're, we're off the legal hook. There you go. That's why you're the brains of this operation. <laughs> I'm the looks, by the way. That's Anyone listening to the podcast, just we'll all pretend we never talked about this. Wink. Well, we're, we're off to a flying start, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's hard to tell this early in the morning. Yeah, you don't like the early mornings. All right, Jordan, shall we begin? Let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for The Invaders, part one. A man named Nolan Wood tries to stop an invasion of Earth by aliens disguised as humans. That summary was courtesy of Dirk uh, Gerlicky. Well, Dirk, that is both completely accurate and inaccurate. Because it, that that is the basic idea of the show, but what would be more accurate is people kind of walk around looking at things. <laughs> so you would say, a man named Nolan Wood walks around looking at things. Aliens may or may not be involved. Exactly, yeah. Aliens may or may not be involved. Also, uh, they eat very sloppily. <laughs> All right. Well, this whole series opens kind of with this... Uh, introduction to not aliens but something ominous as these mexican illegals are crossing the border uh getting into the back of a van or truck and sort of those alien clouds and lights you see kind of like independence there something like huge cloud formations and flashing lights in the sky something ominous above at them and a man in a suit watches uh, a guy will come to know know as i think roy vincent Oh, is that his name? I never caught his name. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I forgot. Yeah. I think it's Roy Vincent. I could be wrong. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, I take it back. It might be David Vincent. David Vincent. You're right. It's David Vincent. Well, he's not in the opening scene, is he? He is. You get a brief glimpse of him staring up at the sky as the uh, uh, Mexican workers drive into America. Right. Because immigration. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's still a thing. Be very afraid. <laughs> But it's very much like an X-Files opening. It's, it doesn't tell you anything. It's supposed to set the mood. This, I don't know how effective it is, but you get the idea that these people are coming over the border and you think, oh, something's going to maybe either happening at this area or going to happen to them. But then we kind of quickly just go on to the diner, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go this way with a little bit. It kind of sets up the world this takes place in is there's a lot of fear of immigration, which obviously lends itself to aliens invading there's a huge fear of polluted air and like there's a lot of talk about the politics of like big government and big business sort of taking away from the little guy. And all of this, of course, is represented by a talk radio host, Richard Belzer. Oh, yeah. It's very weird, isn't it? They yeah. keep cutting. They cut to him like um, I don't know what the device is supposed to be accomplishing because it doesn't really push the plot forward. But it's it's basically like a um, right wing shock radio guy who's like can you believe the government's taking away our jobs i think it's this and like and then they just cut to him every few minutes for his opinion that doesn't really add anything to anything yeah it either reinforces a plot reinforces a plot point or explains a new plot point yeah yeah you're right though he's he's a conspiracy laden alex jones or something from 95 you could cut him out of this movie entirely and you wouldn't know you wouldn't know no for sure he is kind of important off the top of the show because like he's like spewing all this rhetoric over the airwaves and we get this glimpse of this like blue collar worker who's recently been laid off though still wearing his uniform at the breakfast table as you would and essentially what i was supposed to think i guess is that he's being riled up by richard belzer and he drives back to kind of the, the plant he worked at with his van full of explosives and i guess performs a terrorist attack on the like the plant he used to work at that he was laid off from is this the one where it starts with the one guy is like 
maybe controlling the other guy. You're like, what is happening? Yeah, we keep getting cutaways as he's driving in to... I wasn't sure if it was another guy or if it was the same guy, like, shaking violently. But what we'll come to learn is the aliens use mind control on people. Well, the thing is, it was two different people, but they both were kind of, like, pudgy bald guys. So it just looked like the same guy. And I think it lends another question because we're supposed to get the idea that Richard Belzer sort of riled this guy up to get revenge for being laid off by this big business. So that's why he's Mm -hmm. blowing up this plant. But then we're also, I guess, supposed to think aliens mind controlled him into doing it. I can't I can't tell what we're supposed to get out of this opening. I was so confused. The actors look the same. So I guess one of them was an alien and one of them was the guy who's been controlled i thought they were the same guy i was so confused for like 20 minutes of the show we're not going to see the aliens for a long time so it's just people acting like aliens so you get a lot of people kind of uh either being kind of sweaty or moving slightly differently that's how the only time you know they're an alien so it's just like oh and oh they're an alien i i didn't know because they were just being normal yeah that's it i guess the invaders take human forms we're not supposed to know who they are really the only indications we get is uh they either love to smoke or they can mind control people by having a spasm. Yeah, they look like they're gyrating, sort of. So while these terrorist attacks are happening, I guess, perpetrated either by aliens or by Richard Belzer, it's unclear. We get to catch up with Scott Bakula, who's uh, just getting out of prison for beating a man to death in Vegas. The worst lit prison ever. Did you notice it? It was just all like light shining through fans and like through Venetian blinds. Very X-Files. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I, I this was a terrible prison. You couldn't you couldn't read it all. He's just getting out from this manslaughter charge, and uh, nobody thinks he's reformed. All these guards are like convinced he's an insane person or something. Uh, he, he seems to be guaranteed to re recommit a felony. No one likes him. They they keep giving him dirty looks, but he just kind of. I don't think he even says a thing, does he? He just kind of does. He he doesn't speak for like a good half hour in the show. Yeah, it's it's a lot of just menacing looks, and like. So many other failed shows, I'm looking at Riverworld in this case, our hero, Bakula, will perpetually have flashes or visions throughout the entire series that don't matter and we'll never talk about. But he's constantly having these flashes of, like, a bus and his wife and infant son standing in the middle of the road, like, seemingly getting hit by some sort of transport truck or something. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make sense because both of them are alive currently. And spoiler, that never happens. Yeah, well, his son is grown now, not an infant. And neither of them are like, I don't know. It was We keep seeing these flashes that don't make a lot of sense. The point it's supposed to have is that he has some sort of conflicted past and uh, he may may or may not be mentally stable. Why do you think shows keep doing this for their heroes, like giving them visions that they don't use? Eh, I think it try to, tries to create a sense that this person is more interesting than they actually are. <laughs> They've got cool powers we're never going to get to. And like this character, uh, the uh, Scott Bakula's character, was it uh, Nolan? Is that his name? I just wrote Bacula down. Yeah, Bacula. Anyways, he plays the character of Bacula. I like him more than the character from Riverworld, just because I think the actor is a better actor. Not because the character is better written. No, no. This is. I think this is similar to Warlord, in which the lead actor happens to have some charisma, so at least he's easier to watch. Right. Not that the writing has done him any favors. It's really not in this, trust me. Anyway, after he gets out of prison, he uh, catches a lift with some trucker who drives him to a diner in Barstow. He's sort of led there by his visions, it's implied. He doesn't really know why he's going there. But when we get to Barstow, uh, we see this truck stop called the uh, Truck Stop in Cafe. <laughs> Can I mention one quick thing? Did you see what, uh, when he checked out of prison, what his, his three items that he had were? What, it was like a watch and a, a sunglasses or something. It was a wallet, a knife, and some sunglasses. What a man. If that doesn't tell you, yeah, he's a tough, cool guy, nothing does. Oh, sorry, and a cassette. He had a, a tape cassette. Oh, yes, yeah, so very important. Something that him and his his estranged son have in common. They love the song, Do Wah Diddy, and constantly <laughs> sing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they paid a lot of money for that. Oh, jeez. Anyway, at this truck, truck stop and cafe in Barstow, this is where Bacula's ex-wife Amanda works as a waitress with her now grown son. Well, not grown. He's like 12 years old or something. And her new husband, Jerry, who owns the diner. Yeah, and it's, what's his face? John Boy from the Walton. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. What's his name? His name is uh, Richard Thomas. I recognized him, but I, I, I definitely didn't recognize him from the Waltons. I don't even know what that is. You never saw the Waltons when you were a kid? No. That's a very very wholesome kind of family show. How old are you? 
Uh, 76. <laughs> I watched a lot of syndication as a child. I had no idea what was on and what wasn't on. I didn't know I Dream of Genie wasn't still on there. You thought it was still 1972. It's all the same to me. She started a new life with Jerry. In fact, she's even pregnant with Jerry's kid. Yep. Big time. He big time impregnated her. Yeah. She really <laughs> I is. I don't know li- why I said that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the funniest thing you can imagine is someone being impregnated. <laughs> Um, she's really started a new life at this diner. That's what's clear. It's implied that this uh, kid that she's had with Bakia doesn't even really remember him as a dad. And, uh, you know, the diner's pretty popular. There's this Vegas gold tour company that keeps coming through. And it's full of patrons who ride this bus line and smoke on their way to Vegas. And everyone orders steak and eggs. Yeah, they all order steak and eggs and they all eat it in a very gross way. Everyone's very, like, mushing up things and smacking their mouths. It's uh, it's kind of uh, supposed to give us this idea something's wrong with these people. They all want to eat steak and eggs. I mean, it's a hearty breakfast. It's a hearty breakfast and apparently one that uh, invaders love to eat. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? I haven't eaten anything yet. I had a bowl of cereal. Good for you. What kind? <laughs> uh, it was uh, Harvest Crunch. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> just like pregnancy. Who knows? Yeah, it's just funny. Naturally funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's the ad for pregnancy. Naturally funny. You're such a weirdo. Well, I'm sorry. No. Anyway, fine. let's get back to the thing. There's one thing, though, that uh, Bacula's son loves to do in his free time. It's stare at this tour bus that all these people come on and count the flies. Yeah, was he counting them? Because I thought he was killing them. He had like a fake alien laser gun that was his toy. And he would just stand there staring at what I thought was a decommissioned bus. But we come to realize is the bus the invaders just ride around in. And it's just like full of thousands of house flies. I, I did notice that this kid never goes to school. I, I'm going to assume that it's the summer vacation, but like he's got nothing to do. Yeah, no, he's literally standing there shooting these house flies with his imaginary gun and counting him up to the hundreds of flies he's counting. Anyways, he's a lonely little kid. At the same time, Carlos, one of the illegal Mexican aliens that crossed the border earlier in the show, arrives at this diner and gets a job, I guess, being a busboy under the table. Yeah. Again, it's this sort of uh, illegal immigration theme that keeps popping up. And this is that they're not doing that well. They can just afford uh, an illegal immigrant. And he's also happy because he gets paid under the table. And and then thus you have a new character. Yeah. Jerry is pretty happy to have him. Um, Amanda, however, doesn't seem to trust him a great deal. In fact, and they like let him sleep in a shed or something. It's really weird. I don't know why she's all like scared about him. I mean, he seems like a normal guy. It is odd. Like she isn't a bad guy in this but she's definitely given like the most fears of the like the other for some reason right but it's at this point bacula arrives at the truck stop because his visions have driven him to this diner despite the restraining order against him yeah because that's the first thing she says to him as soon as he shows up she's like you have a restraining order and he's like oh yeah uh whatever well and it's funny too because jerry her new husband is a pretty nice guy he's a he tells her he turns to a man and he's just like well where else was he gonna go yeah like he just got out of prison and Jerry gives him 200 bucks to Bacula and then even gets him a ride with his pal Monk in his truck back to L.A. He was just like, you know, what? he's down on his luck. Here's some money. Here's how here's how he get get going. And it's like it's a very nice non uh, confrontational conversation. Yeah, it was it was a weird start to the episode. Where I'm like, what? I don't fully understand the show, but this Jerry guy seems like a real nice guy. Also, they mention um, that Nolan was a pilot in his previous life before uh, he was incarcerated. And I was sure they were dropping that in because he was going to fly a plane at some point. But, spoiler, he never flies a plane. Nope. It's just to show you what a productive member of society he was before he lost his mind and killed someone. I think it's so you know that he didn't buy those aviators. He was given them as a pilot. That's what he got as he graduated pilot school. <laughs> exactly. And a scarf. Did you notice, uh, this is something we'll see all the time now, and a way to tell who's an invader and who's not, is when he gets a ride with this guy Monk, this guy Monk has like the worst smoker's voice. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's very funny. A few of the aliens do. Like, we'll come to know another invader who drives a bus who also speaks like he has, like, throat cancer. Yeah, they don't sound great. It's a very funny attribute to give to this, like, alien force that's there. It's like they're all chronic smokers with real bad lungs. They've got that little hole in their throat. They got to press the button. You can't trust anyone now Yeah, <laughs> who smokes a cigarette. But yeah, this kind of gets Bacula into L.A., He's sort of there, I guess, to start a new life with this character monk who we've never met before, but 
is a is a character actor I've seen in other things. I didn't couldn't recognize him from from anything, but I think I've seen him. I think he pops up and stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a Seinfeld or something. Like this is right. like the kind of era where these character actors are popping up on all these shows. They're doing this drive into L.A. and we kind of catch up with this idea that doctors aren't to be trusted because Monk is kind of talking to Bakula about, oh, doctors are the ones who did this to you. You can't trust doctors. And part of this, I think, is setting up this idea because there's another character we still haven't gotten into, a trio of doctors who work in L.A. It was at this point that I wrote down the note that this is starting to feel like an adaptation of a Stephen King novel because there's just so many characters and so far, I don't care about any of them, but they just keep introducing characters as if that's what this plot needs. Is like, oh, oh yeah, more more people, but I still don't know what's happening. It's sprawling. It's difficult to tell who you're even supposed to pay attention to. The three doctors we come to meet at the beginning of this pilot are Dr. Ellen Gerza, her boyfriend, Dr. Josh Weber, who, uh, side note, was on Dexter. He played yeah, that's uh, right. James Dokes. That's, I recognized him. I'm like, why do I know this guy? Oh, you're the guy from Dexter. And then Doctor, I never wrote down her name. I just called her Doctor British Lady. Oh yeah, I put sexy Doctor. <laughs> Both very easy ways to remember her. She comes across kind of as a femme fatale later on. So it's true. You're not wrong. Anyway, Doctor Weber has been gene splicing. He's trying to create some sort of, I don't know, gene that's going to stop retroviruses, but it's not working. For some reason, he thinks his like lab results are being tampered with. Mm-hmm. In fact, Dr. British Lady even says, he's like, ah, you can't trust anyone around this hospital. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, it's, it's the same hospital from the Omen. That's why. Oh, right. I guess that would make sense because I'm like, why are they performing these weird genetic splicing exercises in this hospital? Yeah, because they got that old uh, flesh eating disease up in the back room. He's the one who created it. It all comes together. But um, after that terrorist attack inspired by Richard Belzer, this Dr. Weber's called to the ER to help out. And uh, the person he ends up helping is... I guess the alien who was controlling the man who caused the explosion, though I thought it was the same guy who caused the explosion. He like had somehow survived his terrorist attack. Right. It was unclear to me, but what I think we're supposed to think or understand is this man who comes in is one of the invaders. Dr. Weber takes some of his blood, and um, as he flatlines, the invader like disappears in a flash of light. Like His body is no longer there. He just kind of vaporizes. And, and what does he leave, though? He leaves behind hundreds of disgusting houseflies. <laughs> I don't know why. I was just like, oh, okay. But it does give, you now you get the sense, oh, there's something weird about the flies. It's not just a normal phenomenon in this in this part of the world. Yeah, I mean, they never explain why the flies are there. Or like, do they turn into flies? Do they attract flies? It's unclear. But whenever wherever invaders are, hundreds of houseflies are sure to follow. They're sort of like Candyman with bees. Oh, yeah, that's a good reference to it. Yeah, that one's for Laura. A little shout out. <laughs> but that blood has something special about it. Oh, yeah. I wrote it down. Where's my note now? Can I, can I, so he's testing the blood, and the doctor says at one point, he says, whoever this guy was, he's immune to everything. Yeah, he's super immunity, even HIV. <laughs> yeah, he even HIV. I don't know why that was so funny when they did it. I got a good laugh out of it. And again, I mean, it's, it's the panic of the times, right? Yeah, I guess. Anyways, it was just so, I was like, okay, and wh- why is he immune to everything? You know what they're not immune to? Their throat's getting all messed up from cigarettes. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's a funny idea, actually, that these aliens, I guess maybe it's because they're so technologically advanced, they're immune to everything, but they're here to take over our planet because they apparently were technologically advanced to save their own planet. It just, if you came to a new planet, Jordan, wouldn't you be more susceptible to their viruses, not less susceptible? Hmm. That's a good question. I wonder. Well, you know what? You know, you're you're probably right because, yes, if you have no immunity against, uh, against a virus or something, yeah, you would be more susceptible. I agree with you. Thank you. <laughs> I had to I had to think it out. This whole thing is this weird setup that Doctor Weber has now discovered these alien blood, and it's super exciting to him because he's a virologist. Maybe he's he's studying keeping people alive from viruses, and now he's found this super immunity. I wasn't sure what all the doctors were doing because it looked like his um, girlfriend, one of the other doctors, was a regular practitioner who was doing rounds in the hospital. But then he was doing like studies in the hospital, like it was like a science lab. And I and I just was, I wasn't sure if this was a research hospital or if it was like it seems a to be a little of both, I guess. Yeah, Doc Ellen, his girlfriend, clearly works in the ER. He goes there when there's an emergency. 
but Dr. British Lady clearly only works in research. Is this when we get the uh, the, the first time the police show up? Yeah, I suppose so. After this disappearing man, I guess, he goes off in this flash and leaves flies behind. They call the cops about it. Although maybe the cops are there because of the terrorist tech. It's, not, it's very unclear to me because we get this new character. Why not have one more character? Detective Coyle. And I wrote that he should have been played by Alec Baldwin or... One of the lesser Baldwins. Oh, you're wrong. It's Stephen Baldwin. He should have been Stephen Baldwin in a bad wig. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been good. He did. That's what I wrote down, too, as soon as I saw him. Like, is this a Baldwin? He's like an ugly Baldwin. I mean, there are lots of Baldwins who aren't the best looking. Only Alec. Maybe a- maybe Adam. What's one, what are the handsome Adam ones? Adam Baldwin. You got your Stephen. You got your Will Baldwin. I don't know who the Baldwins are. We'll have to look that up later. Please, guys. Colin, the lights are blinking. People call in with the Baldwins. <laughs> Name all the Baldwins, win a prize. But yeah, this detective shows up and kind of interviews Weber about this disappearing man. He doesn't really go anywhere. He just says like, hey, what happened to that patient? He's like, I don't know. And they're like, okay. They're like, uh, we don't trust him, but uh, I guess we'll have to find that body. Like it just, it's, it's a very weird sequence where, I don't know. I don't know what the point of it was. No, I guess they're actually, I guess what it is, is Detective Coyle's investigating the terror attack because he later goes and like interviews that guy's wife or something, but none of it goes anywhere. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But Detective Coyle seems to interview people related to any crime that happens because he just keeps popping up whenever they need a detective to like investigate something. Well, they, they've already cast this guy. They're not going to have another cop come by. Yeah, it's, it's odd. We'll get into it more as we go along. But essentially, where this catches us up to is. Dr. Weber now knows about superimmunity blood, which is, I guess, something the invaders don't want to happen. So Monk, the smoking invader who's driving back in L.A., essentially drives him to a bar that all the doctors are hanging out after work, gives him a gun, and starts trying to, like, mind control him with his, like, shaky spasm mind control. He's basically trying to get Bacula, fresh out of prison for murder, to go kill this doctor who's now not discover like he's not even suspicious about the blood that there's aliens he just kind of like found blood it's weird that they even want to kill him because there's no indication that they know he's doing research or they know anything about him but they've decided okay we're gonna we're gonna make this guy be an assassin to kill him because yeah i guess the idea is we're supposed to think they're so wide-reaching they can possibly know that this doctor has this blood and is suspicious before he's even suspicious. Do you think, in terms of the timeline of this show, does this work out? I I, I looked it up. From Barstow to L.A., which is where he went, it's an hour 45 minutes. So that's a long way to drive someone just to have them come out of a car and shoot someone. But when they started driving him, did they already know about the blood or was he already on the way and then he got a call and they're like, by the way, you should go uh, make a pit stop and have him shoot this guy? It's super unclear. We never n- see how or know how the aliens communicate. At one point, they do tell us they have a collective conscience. So, oh, do they? I guess they're like the Borg, but they seem to be such individuals. It, none of it really adds up. Like they call each other on the phone. Like if they had a collective consciousness, wouldn't they just know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that works, and it's not clear from this show how the aliens move or do. I think. We're supposed to just think of them more as a, like, huge government conspiracy. Like, they just know everything because they know everything. Right. But the point of all this is Nolan isn't able to fight off. Uh, he's not allowed, uh, able to use his willpower to fight off the uh, the mind control. And he does shoot that doctor. Shoots him wrong. Sh- oh, no, he doesn't. You're right. Sorry. He. You know what's funny? I actually forgot the scene. He, he does, does He does fight, fight him off him. the mind control. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was, I was watching a different show. His visions keep happening and, like... He's kind of able to sort of fight it off. He, he won't raise the gun anyway. And the alien who's spasming in the car, Monk, gets annoyed and eventually just gets out of the car and takes the gun and does it himself. And then uh, he, he like tussles with the guy, right? I did like when they shoot to Doc Weber. It's actually like not a bad scene. No, it's not actually because he gets shot. And then he's sort of like you can see it's shot from um, the perspective of outside of the window. And you can see him like with his friends and he gets shot and he doesn't know he shot. Right he gets shot right in the head. So he's like a small hole appears in his head and he starts bleeding and he doesn't die. He kind of just feels like something's wrong. And you kind of see the actor doing this like great sequence where he's just like, I think something's wrong. And his friends are like, huh? And then he kind of falls over. I, I, I actually was like, oh, this is not a bad start to the show. Like I like at least it's mm-hmm. interesting. I, I mean, it didn't last long, but 
Yeah, no, I, I liked it too. But yeah, Monk has to do the assassination because he can't control Bakula the way he wants to. After he kills Dr. Weber, he basically shoots Bakula, I guess, to keep him there so he gets in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, like, how would that make, when the cops arrive, they're like, oh, he killed this doctor and then shot himself in the shoulder. I know. And they just, they just walk up. They're like, well, it's clearly what he did. He shot himself in the shoulder. But he also gives the gun back to Bakula, who Bakula then shoots Monk in the hand or something. Yeah. Well, they're, they're also impervious to bullets, I think. Well, he clearly gets shot because he bleeds all over the ground. But I, the whole sequence was very confusing. And it was the beginning of like, kind of the problems with the show is like, I don't know why any of this is happening. Right. But that kind of catches us up to where we are and kind of kicks off the plot to the series. It's just like, this doctor's been assassinated. Bakula's being blamed for it. And we know these invaders are pulling all the strings. Mm-hmm. Bakula ends up at a hospital, at the hospital, restrained and being interviewed by this Dr. Coyle, who is now not only investigating the terrorist attack, but he's investigating why Bakula killed Weber. Like, seems unrelated to what he's investigating otherwise. And they've got him really, like, strapped down. I thought, I'm like, this seems a, this seems a little much. Well, I guess he's a convicted killer twice now. Well, convicted yeah. once, not the second time yet. Doc Ellen is so distraught over the death of her her, her boyfriend, husband, Dr. Weber, that she comes in and uh, she brings his meds. And later we'll come to learn she's thinking about maybe killing him as revenge, but... Bakula starts talking about how he doesn't want to dream, and he complains about this guy, Monk, who drove him to town. He complains about all the flies that were in this man's truck. And all his complaining, I guess, jogs her memory that Doc Weber told her all about the man who vanished and left flies behind. So she's now suspicious? Question mark? I, I like that, though. You're dealing with the person who murdered a loved one, and they, and they mention a most minor coincidence that happened in both lives. And you go, you know what? I think I trust this person. Yeah, she. the flies trigger her to think about the flies that her boyfriend saw. And then Bakula mentions that she he shot the invader and there was blood at the scene. So she's like, instead of killing him like I was planning to do, I'm going to go check out this blood that was left behind at the crime scene. I should mention one real quick, though. When she's mourning, there's a scene where it's not important to the show, but it's showing that she's really sad the guy's dead. And she's talking to uh, the British doctor. And at one point, she's just like, I can't believe he's dead. She's like, we had a vacation we were going to. And I, I just like that was a funny line of like, <laughs> imagine mentioning the person that you love has died. You're like, I'm never going to get my money back on those tickets. <laughs> anyway, they were going to go on that sweet vacation, Jordan. She was really looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, you could go by yourself. <laughs> anyway, so he, uh, she essentially lets him out now, right? No. Or helps him escape. Well, she goes to the crime scene and tracks down this blood she found like the blood from the invader he shot she like scrapes it off the ground then goes immediately to visit uh, dr british lady who she inspects the blood Mm -hmm. and she finds out that's as doctors do as doctors do that is her job to look at things i guess because she's a researcher and they discover that this blood is the same as the other guys like it's super immunity like they're both shocked to find super immunity in the blood also how bad are these cops they didn't look at any of this crime scene at all I think there's open and shut case for them. I right. mean, everything we see about Detective Coyle implies he's a very bad police officer. Right. But yeah, she discovers that I guess Bakula's not lying because this guy he shot, I guess, also has super blood. I don't know. Like, essentially what she learns is enough for her to think maybe Bakula's innocent. Right. So while she's discovering the super blood, uh, Scott Bakula's busy uh, executing his own escape from the prison. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He convinces the cops. He uh, he pushes himself on his, his injury to make himself bleed more. And he sort of calls it. He's like, look, I'm bleeding. And the cop gets close enough. And as all cops know, if you get near a gun, you can pull it off of a cop very easily. So he does that. And then he's got the cop and he's able to put on his uniform. And Well, that's it. I mean, he really hurts his injury. And the cop comes in and undoes the restraints. Yeah. Like he's perfectly restrained. There's no reason to do that. At any rate, he does. Gets the cop's uniform, sneaks off, and essentially heads to a bus station where he buys a ticket back to Barstow, I guess, to return to his son who he's worried about. Mm-hmm. Don't you love, though, in scenes where they put on clothing of someone as a way of escaping? I love it. Yeah, it's good disguise, Jordan. It always works. It always works out. No other cop knows any other cop, so you can't recognize them. Yeah. But yeah, he buys a bus t- ticket back to Barstow, and of course, we're immediately suspicious because the bus driver also has like a super smoker voice. He's like... Uh, where are you going to? 
that's that was spot on luke yeah and everyone on the bus is smoking so we immediately know as the audience that everyone on this bus must be an invader yeah also why do the invaders all travel together to vegas all the time and why do they always choose the bus why don't they just go to the they just go to a rental place and get a car much more comfortable you can't smoke in a car a rental car you'll never get your deposit back oh that's it that answers it i'm surprised in a movie like this where the pacing is plotting at best that they didn't have a scene where they explained why they don't have rental cars because that would make sense in this well and i mean even my notes here i am really trying to streamline the plot like it actually jumps back and forth from character to character so much it's so hard to follow you're right because while you're talking i'm i'm i have my notes here on my computer i'm scrolling up and down and up and down because it's like it gives a very uh, scattered feeling because all these characters they've introduced very quickly, they each have to keep having a scene in succession. So you have to keep keep up with all these plot lines that don't really matter to one another. Well, a lot of the scenes end up being very inconsequential, which is a problem. I mean, by this point, we kind of know who the lead characters are. Bakula, Doc Ellen. I mean, Detective Coyle's there, but he's not a character. And then basically the people at the diner. But up till now, mm-hmm. there's been so many more characters to follow it's only starting starting to like sink in who we need to pay attention to right but we jump back to the diner where bacula's headed because uh bacula's kids started becoming very suspicious of his stepdad jerry um, jerry keeps making weird phone calls to people he keeps heading back to the garage at night to huff exhaust out of the back of his truck by the way do you love the lighting of like it one when jerry's in his own office it's just red they just have red lighting. I'm like, I don't know what kind of lighting is this office. And then he goes, I think it's similar when he goes to to go huff gas for some reason. It's all like just the weirdest colored lights. Every time you someone's doing something evil, you know, because it's got like psychedelic colors. Yeah, well, Jerry's not the good guy we thought he was at the start. He's a nope. exhaust huffing invader ready to take over the planet. And now Scott Bakula's kid is very suspicious of this stepdad he has. I have no idea what the kid's name is. Do you? Oh, I just called him the kid. Yeah, the kid. I couldn't Good, track. There's so many characters. I couldn't track everyone's name. It was impossible. And not yeah. keep it straight. Oh, my God. I know. There was a lot of characters. Kyle? Yes, it's Kyle. Kyle. You're correct. Yeah. Uh, but Bakula does not make it back to the truck stop to save his son. Because along the way back on this truck stop, they pull over to pick up a man who's... What would you? What do you think that man is carrying on his back, this, this mechanical device? I don't remember. What's on his back? No, they pull over to the side of the road, and there's like a man at a bus stop or maybe he's just on the side of the road and he's basically got a what it looks like a leaf blower on his back but it's just like blowing oh. smoke like oh yeah sort of, i don't know is it exhaust is it some sort of pesticide i don't know this was a weird scene because yeah so they pull over this guy gets on it you're right it looks like a snow blower or like a leaf blower and he's just uh fumigating them like with like ddt and he's just spraying them all and then <laughs> he goes to the back of the bus where old bacula is sitting and he just just sticks it in his face and just keeps spraying him for what feels like minutes at a time. I guess it's to knock him out. Like, it is to knock him out so they can, like, capture him. But I'm like, what is this thing he's using? Like, obviously, all the innovators don't care. They love carbon monoxide. I guess we're supposed to take that. Is there carbon monoxide in cigarettes? I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what's happening. I think it's just the idea is, like, for whatever reason, they like very toxic chemicals at all times, no matter what it is, whether it's gasoline or smoke or whatever what have you they love a polluted air yeah they love pollution but yeah this gets bacula out of the picture he's been he's been recaptured by the invaders and he's being shipped off now to who knows where a warehouse probably probably we'll jump back to doc allen for a quick second who's uh getting a hold of detective coil and kind of warning him that there's been there was suspicious blood at the crime scene and and that uh, something's wrong and he wants the detective to come in and talk to them about like maybe bacula's innocent and she drags him to see Dr. British Lady, because I guess she's the expert on tests, science tests. Yeah. But when she get when they get there, for some reason, Dr. British Lady's saying, oh, no, that was a mistake. There was never any super blood. Like, up till now, I don't know if she was an invader, but suddenly she's... She starts acting funny. She starts acting funny. And I guess at this point, we're supposed to assume she's in the invader's pocket whether she is an invader whether she's being mind controlled something's wrong with her well because that's the thing because she's giving none of the signs that they've laid out at this point that indicate someone is an invader she doesn't have a smoky voice she's not doing any weird huffing of gas or anything and she's perfectly normal yeah the only thing we're suspicious about now is that she's denying the stuff we've seen her already confirm 
Um, but she covers that up by getting real flirty with Detective Coyle. Yeah, and it happens really fast. I was like, why would she ever hit on this gross guy? He's He is, unfortunately played very grossly so it doesn't make a lot of sense it's very like we're like well obviously she's suspicious because no one could love this man yeah because she's just like you know what i like i like the way that your layer of fat just hangs just so sexily over your belt well and he's he's always sweating in that way where he's just like kind of out of shape for a detective he's always kind of got a glisten to him yeah and she's much more attractive than him so there's no way they could be together Anyway, because Dr. Dr. Coyle has been, dis- or Detective Coyle, sorry, has been distracted by Dr. British Lady, he lets it slip, I guess, on the phone that they think Bacula's heading to Barstow to get his son back. So even though Detective Coyle's denying Doc Allen's idea, Doc Allen's like, all right, I'm going to head to Barstow and try to find find this Bacula character and get a get a straight answer. They just need, like, characters to get from point A to point B, so they just really quickly like just sew things together it's it's very confusing in fact before she heads the bars though she takes a quick side trip back to her house i guess to try to pick something up but her whole house explodes yeah i know i was like what happened did she blow up her own house what happened i don't know she comes in she's like i smell gas and her like stove is off yeah or like is turned on and then she like runs outside and the whole like i was like is this the invaders i I couldn't follow who was doing what or why, but clearly someone's out to get her now. And it's so weird. Her house explodes and she calls Detective Coyle and he's like, I don't know, probably just an accident. Oh, and and let me just mention at this point, you've mentioned now a few times of things that don't quite make sense. If you cut out a lot of these sort of scenes and a lot of these little plot lines that just go off to nowhere, of the three hours when you actually watch this thing without commercials and without everything else added on this is about a three hour movie it could easily be an hour and a half oh it's so long for no reason yeah it's because there's so many characters (laughs) there's so many characters and there's a lot of scenes there's at least five scenes of scott Bakula running away from stuff like he's running in cornfields he's running on a road he's running somewhere else there's a lot of scenes where he gets chased down places i'm like i think one chasing's enough Ugh, it's it's a lot. I mean, let's get back to Bacula now, because after being captured, we catch up with him and he's strapped into a dentist chair by this monk, this smoker, the smoker monk. Have you noticed that dentist chairs are the number one chair for being tortured? Yeah, just like Tech War. Just like Tech War. Also, just like what's his face in Space Above and Beyond. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. They had him strapped into that chair. It's the perfect chair for torture. I guess, you know, it reclines. It's got a lot going for it. It's got that little side table where you could put your little instruments of torture. Makes a lot of sense now that you talk, now that you say it out loud. Mm. I don't think it's crazy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we kind of see like the most alien thing we'll maybe see the entire series. Maybe not, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of crazy. Is this monk character has I guess taken out this glowing green orb that was inside of Bacula's head they were using to kind of control him, but mm. obviously the mind control didn't work, so they. Say, like, this probe we put in your brain seems to be broken. We need to replace it. The probe they'd pulled out of his head was the implication he'd had this from... He's had it in his head for years and years. That's what caused him to accidentally kill the person for manslaughter, right? But did he have it in his head the entire time in prison, too? Yeah, I think that's the idea, is he's been under their control for years and years. They've been up to this for ages, and they, they had him beat this man to death, basically. So he's in jail now. It's like, why even bother having it in his head? Anyways, I guess it's more pain to take it out. Yeah, why, why bother taking it out? You could use them later. I guess, and that's what they're doing. I mean, yeah, that's the, you know, they've been up to this for years. There's a huge conspiracy, and they've got lots of sleeper agents everywhere. They're now replacing it in him in the weirdest way possible. Yeah, maybe you can explain to me exactly hey, what the thought process here was, but he's strapped down to the dentist chair. They're going to put a new probe into his brain to mind control him. To do so, they take out this squiggly, like, alien about the size of your hand. Looks a bit like a face hugger from Alien. Yeah, exactly. That's what it looks. It looks like a face hugger. They place that squiggly alien. It basically mounts itself over his nose and mouth. So, theoretically, you wouldn't be able to breathe. And then they take this, like, glowing, kind of gun-looking probe. It's like, it's like a gun, but it's got a real long, pointy end with, a, like, a glowing light at the end of it. And they shove that through the face hugger so through the body of this little alien thing into your nose and then i guess up into your brain that's it how where does the why it seems like that thing is installing the probe so why is the alien on your face well the answer is there's no reason it just looks cool that's basically what it is it looks cool but yes the mechanics of it don't make sense what's implied is that 
the face hugger somehow opens your orifice so that you can just stick the probe all the way up there. But yes, there's no reason for it other than it looks like a terrifying scene if there's a thing on his face he's being tortured. That's the only reason it's there. Because yeah, they could just take the probe and just stick it up his nose. Okay, your nose is always open. You can't close your nose. Yeah, there you go. Your arms are your arms are tied to your side. You're not going to pinch your nose closed. It's just a more terrifying scene. I guess so. It just adds another layer of problem because you got to go through the alien you've just put on face. Yeah. So are they just stabbing all these little aliens to death for fun? Oh well, no. The alien likes it. It's like it's it's always itchy where you're putting that little probe in. So it's like a good little scratch for it. Oh, so it's like a pet they have, and this is just like yeah. they're like killing two birds with one stone. How how much better would this be if they had a scene where you're like it's on a leash and they're walking it around? That's oh, that, that'd be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. But I guess this is where we get to see kind of how the aliens install probes that allow them to mind control humans, even though they can very easily take the shape of humans. And why bother having mind control people? I don't know. But who knows this alien plot? It's very co- complicated and confusing. <laughs> but this kind of gets us into the end game of this, like, part one of this show. Uh, Dr. Ellen arrives at the diner looking for Bacula. He's not there, but Amanda's there, and she's flipping out because her kid, the uh, the boy, has gone missing when Jerry went out to go do a tow truck job. Dr. Ellen gets the chance to talk to Carlos, the illegal busboy who's there. They all speak Spanish, which Amanda doesn't, so they're able to talk openly about what's been happening. And uh, Carlos is kind of just telling her how this diner is weird as fuck. Like, stuff happening here is insane. Carlos is, like, one of the more um, uh, sensible characters. He's sort of just, like, he's the viewer. He's just standing there going what is happening around me? I'm just trying to clean the floor. And there's all the aliens and stuff happening around. But he just he just keeps his head down the whole time and just like kind of does his thing. It is kind of funny. Carlos is maybe the one character who when you watch the show, you're like, if you would refocus the idea of the show and just focus in on Carlos, you would have had an interesting television show. You're probably not wrong, but you could almost say that about any of these characters to just streamline the show and go, this is what the show is. It's about the doctor finding out what an alien was to avenge her uh, boyfriend's death. Or it's about Scott Bakula trying to get his son back, but he's also trying to, he's on the run because of this charge. Or it's about the detectives trying to find this conspiracy that's making people act weird. Or it's about the woman whose son has escaped. Like, it's like, there's just too many things happening. Yeah, you're right. I, I- if you would have just picked a character to focus on, it would have worked. But now we have a half dozen characters who none of them get much time. And right. it's a bit confusing. I did like Carlos, though. He was he was an interesting character who I who, who I could have spent more time with because he, uh, he wasn't irritating me anyway. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it turns out Jerry wasn't leaving to go pick up some car with his tow truck. He's, he's off to meet the bus that now Scott Bakula's back on after being his mind control pros and put back in. And they meet in the desert kind of at the same place that Carlos was lit off when he crossed the border. Sort of this Mm -hmm. like deserty landscape. We get the same clouds blowing in and flashing lights. And I guess uh, an alien ship lands. It's hard to tell. I watched a very low quality YouTube video of this. So I couldn't quite tell if I'm supposed to think there's a giant alien ship in the clouds or what's happening. I wrote the same thing. My note was there's a spaceship in the background. Or is it? I can't tell with the bad quality. Yeah, I mean... Just, I guess, a failing of, of the YouTube video compression. I, I, I'm not sure if the idea is we're supposed to see a giant spaceship in the clouds, like a huge, like miles and miles long spaceship, or whether we're just supposed to think like somewhere out there is a spaceship. We just don't know what it is. But essentially, all these people who are on the bus must be all mind controlled because they all line up in a row basically to meet a group of aliens who gets off the ship. And we see like, what, like 25 aliens get off the ship? Yeah. And like walk toward this group of humans and we actually get to see what the alien invaders look like when they're not in human form. Yeah, they have uh, Ninja Turtle hands and they've got very weird mouths. They've got almost like like an insect insect kind of face. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they have three fingers and I, I thought they were wearing masks or something. I thought they had like Bane masks on, but maybe they did have like an insect face, like a, like a butterfly nose or something. Yeah, well, I know maybe it was a mask. I don't know. But they have some sort of protrusion out of where their mouth would be. Yeah, but I mean, otherwise, they look exactly like a chig. <laughs> they do. They actually do look like a chig. You're right. It's, uh, I think, you know, that was just of the Star Trek era, Next Generation, where everyone was basically a humanoid, just like, with with just like a slightly different face. Yeah, exactly. So the aliens have landed. They're meeting with this group of mind-controlled humans. Bacula's kids watching this all from the back of a truck and remaining very calm, considering. Everyone just gets onto that bus they arrived on. So now it's humans, it's aliens, it's this invader who drives the bus, and they all 
sort of take another road trip to a, an airplane hangar? A lot of scenes seem to take place in big hangars. I'm assuming it's just the studio space that they had, and it's just cheaper to, you know, have an empty space and have... Because it's like, I don't know why they go into this huge space, but it's like set up in the weirdest way. It's like um, a set of chairs, a set of like tubes, like human-sized tubes, and there, and then the bus parked. That's all that's in there. Yeah, it's a, just an empty space for the Megas to do their work. All the invaders who currently look like humans, including Jerry, our stepdad, they all go sit in sort of like bleachers or risers that have been set up inside yeah. this space. And they're facing 10 telephone booths with 10 gurneys laying in front of those telephone booths. And what seems to happen is people who are mind controlled go get into the telephone booths. Aliens who just got off the ship and look like aliens lay down on the gurneys in front of the telephone booths. And one by one, the aliens. They morph into the doppelgangers of the humans standing in the telephone booths, and the humans in the telephone booths just kind of, like, fall asleep or maybe die. It's not clear. Yeah. But it, it's like, one by one, each alien transforms into a human that looks exactly like a human who's under mind control. I didn't understand the process. I didn't understand what was happening. It was very confusing. But essentially, I guess this is how the invaders become human-like, is they steal mind-controlled people's bodies, sort of. Here's the one major odd issue. If they're able to simply replace people and either take over their bodies or morph into them or whatever they're doing, because it's not quite clear what you're seeing happening, why do they even need people to be like these assassins or mind control? You don't need both. Yeah, you would just invasion of the body snatchers. You just take their bodies. Yeah, but it's like the reason they have to have both is because it makes problems with Scott Bakula's character because you can't have him being alien, but you need him acting weird. So they, they try to do both things, even though it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Bacula's son sees what's happening, kind of watches a few of these people turn aliens turn into people, and the people, I don't know, fall asleep. It's not clear. And he sneaks off the back of the truck. Thankfully for him, I guess Bacula's in the second round of people who are going to be transformed into, or I don't know. He's at the back of the bus. Bacula's still on the bus. It's not his turn yet to be morphed. The kid sneaks onto the bus, and by sneak, I mean he just walks onto the bus. A bus that is still full of people and aliens. Like, he, he walks to the back of the bus, sits down next to his dad. There is an alien sitting behind them, perfectly conscious, does not seem to mind or notice. I actually thought there was going to be something like they're all, like, in a zombie state or anything, but they're not. They're just, like, why would the aliens be like that? They're just sitting there, and they don't, they don't seem to care at all. The mind-controlled people are definitely in some sort of, like, trance, so they don't really know what's going on. Bacula's kid's shaking him, and Bacula doesn't even notice the kid's there. But the aliens on the bus don't seem to mind or care that this kid got on the bus. It's quite yeah. clearly trying to shake this man awake. I mean, they should be worried about their own conspiracy, right? Yeah, anyway, so he he tries uh, uh, essentially just shaking his dad into consciousness, and that's pretty much... Is that exactly where we end for the first episode? No, no, uh, because he does manage to get his dad back awake again. Um, in a classic trope we've seen so far, is like how do you how do you bring someone out of a, a mind controlled stupor, Jordan? You you just choke them to death. Oh well, not this time. <laughs> Doo Wah Diddy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The one thing they have in common, a love of the song Doo Wah Diddy, brings Bakula back to his right mind, as that song always does. And then Bakula and the kids sneak off the bus in front of a million witnesses who don't do anything to raise an alarm. They climb into Jerry's tow truck and. It's very funny because they climb the tow truck. What you think they're going to do is, uh, you know, drive away and escape. We'll see this a lot more when we move on to the next episode. Spoiler alert, we've already seen the next episode. But this is the first time we'll see it from this kid. But as soon as they're in the tow truck and Bacula's got it started, the kid starts screaming, run them down, dad. Kill them all. Yeah, Kill yeah. them all, dad. Run them over with this truck. He just starts screaming this. And this kid seems to break at this moment because moving forward, we will see this kid shouting for people's blood a lot. He becomes Rambo. And the basically the part one ends with Scott Bakula driving this tow truck at full speed toward the bleachers where Jerry and the other invaders are sitting watching this transformation happen. And we mm. cut to black. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, stakes have never been higher. Kill him, dad. <laughs> That's the first part of two. It was... um. Not a great setup. Like, you're right. It could have been a lot shorter. It could have set up a bit more. I mean, the premise isn't bad. Aliens are among us, changing our environment to suit their own. And this is an invasion. Like, you could make some fodder out of that as a show. They don't do a great job in this first hour and a half of it, though. 
It feels like they didn't have enough content for an hour and a half, but someone had decided this is going to be a movie. So there's a lot of stretching out. Like, uh, kudos, Luke, there for trying to streamline this because you've made it seem much more coherent than it actually is. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, we didn't even talk about Belzer's, uh, Richard Belzer's character. Like, he keeps popping up. But who cares, though? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Well, there's a, that's mo- most of the scenes that we didn't talk about, they just they don't matter. They just show up and that's it. Yeah. Did you read this? I was reading some information about the show. Uh, I'm not sure if you came across this, but I guess in the original broadcast version of this series or this miniseries, there were no aliens. They never showed the aliens in it. We were talking about, just before we started recording today, that... The original version of this that I got, I started watching and then realized there was some scenes missing. So I had to go back and watch this on YouTube, which you did as well, which is why the quality is not so good. But it got me thinking about things. I started reading about it and I I saw the same thing you did was that apparently in the original broadcast version, they never showed the aliens. And that was in, I guess this is played later on sci-fi and it went onto DVD and stuff like that. But I can't figure out how they would have done this without showing the aliens. I guess maybe don't have the kid go into the bus and stuff like that. Like, I can think of a few scenes where you wouldn't show it, but, like, I I don't know how this would cut together without showing them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could get away with it in a few scenes, but definitely when the kid's in the bus, the alien's right over their shoulder. So, I mean, maybe they had some other takes they shot where it was where things were more obscured and you didn't get to see the aliens. But, man, what a a disappointing miniseries it must have been because in the next episode, you'll never see an alien again. So if you'd watch this and no aliens appeared, you'd really be like, whoa, what did I just watch? Well, apparently, people who watch the the original series, which I think we'll talk more in the next episode, you never see an alien in that. You just have indications, same sort of thing, people acting weird and stuff. And I did read some reviews where people were very upset when they saw aliens. Oh, um, interesting. Because it's like, it's like, oh, you gave it all away. My kind of feeling, though, is I kind of see it both ways. Like, they didn't do enough to set up the atmosphere and feeling that there was this ominous presence. I just didn't feel that way. But then it's like, all right, we'll show the aliens. And you see the aliens, you're like, uh, okay. But they don't, you never see them again. So it's like a reveal that doesn't reveal anything. It's very, it, it doesn't work in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess maybe that's why I didn't mind the reveal of the aliens, just because it, it, it does add very little to the show. It's just like, oh, they're the aliens. They look like TV aliens. Cool. Yeah. So that's the first episode. Are we? Do you want to rate these or do we rate them together? No, let's let's do the first part. You want to do this this part one rating for this? Yeah, I don't know if my feeling uh, will has changed really since I watched it. Sometimes when we start talking about it, uh, I, I I either like the things or or dislike them a little more. I think I'm going to go right down the middle on this. I think it's an interesting premise. I actually think it's a pretty strong cast, which is different than a lot of the things we've watched. I think all the actors do for the most part, more than the script allows them to have. But it's just kind of a mess. And I, I'm just going to go right down the middle and give it a five. Five. I mean, you bring up a good point. Uh, the acting is uniformly good. Like, they've cast well. Everyone's given their all to the script, even if it doesn't necessarily give them much to do. But man, oh man, I, it was not... It was such a mess. And I, if I had watched even, like, 30 minutes of this on tv i would have given up on it and just moved on i think oh no question about I it i think it's a two for me oh i love i love when luke goes real hard onto these but no you're right though if you were watching this in 1995 both of us would have been what 13 years old oh i wouldn't have gotten any it's so boring yeah i would have honestly i probably would have made 10 minutes into it i would have changed the channel and saw and, and gone watch a deep space nine rerun yeah it's it's no x-files that's for sure yeah so anyways, that's the first episode, and there's one more part to wrap up all these storylines you're real excited about. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into part two next week and kind of see how it all comes together. Uh, part two, uh, spoiler, is, is a bit better than part one, for sure. I agree. Um, but it, it's, it's a yeah, rough start to uh, a three hours of a miniseries. <laughs> A long, long three hours. All right. Uh, until then, if you want to reach us to, uh, if you remember seeing this, if you have any thoughts about this show, you can get a hold of us at gmail. At, that's not how emails work. You can get a hold of us at continuumdragon@gmail.com, and of course, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips and stuff from the show. Definitely aliens morphing into humans. It should just be clips of people slowly looking through drawers. Because there's a lot of that in this show. Oh, let's let's show the scene where that guy gets shot in the head. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that is good. Um, but you can see that stuff there. Um, but until next week, I guess, thanks for joining us. And uh, Jordan, I guess I'll, I'll see you here in a week's time and we'll finish this off. Yeah, I'm excited, sort of. <laughs> Continuum Dragon.
Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rexiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>